0: We're in the midst of looking at a series of presentations on the kind of people God wants us to be, and today we're focusing on an evangelistic church and people. I take no pleasure in making the statement I'm about to make. Effective evangelism seems to become a lost desire in the minds and hearts of some within the Christian world today. There are many reasons that are being expressed for the lack of being an evangelistic people. There are some who would have us believe that the financial investment we have to make in evangelism just does not pay off in enough conversions and baptisms. There are some who would have us believe that the work schedule of our church members just does not allow them time to be involved in evangelism. There are some who are trying to convince us that leadership has lost its vision and vitality for evangelism. And there are even some who are trying to persuade us that there are actually some parts of the world, some communities, that are too difficult to penetrate with the gospel message, and so there's no need to even try. We would just be wasting our time. But when all the reasons are expressed, perhaps the real reason is never... Voice That being this. Effective evangelism involves planning the work and then working the plan. May I repeat that? Effective evangelism involves planning the work and then working the plan. Just in case no one has informed you lately or reminded you, we all have a work to do. God has not called any of us, God has not chosen any of us to just sit on a pew and do nothing. You can reach people I cannot reach, I can reach people you cannot reach. We need to be a team for Jesus. And so i repeat, effective evangelism involves planning the work and then working the plan. When I was in seminary, one of my professors shared a story that made a tremendous impact in my mind and heart regarding evangelism. He said that there was a young seminary student who graduated and was assigned to his first pastorate, and it was an aging church. They had very few young people there. And so he spent time in prayer asking for guidance for that first sermon presentation with that new congregation. And God's sweet spirit impressed him to preach on soul-winning, evangelism, witnessing. As a young pastor was coming down to the close of his sermon, he looked out across the faces of that aged congregation, and he said, brothers and sisters, I believe this church is going to crawl. There was quite a bit of silence that elapsed, and Finally, one of the dear saints, sitting on the back pew, responded rather timidly and silently, let it crawl, brother, let it crawl. Well, the pastor was excited that there had been some kind of response, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And so he raised the tenor of his voice and said, brothers and sisters, I believe this church is going to walk. There was less of a time period that elapsed, and the same voice responded with equal intensity, let it walk, brother, let it walk. Well, the pastor was really feeling good. And so he said, brothers and sisters, I believe this church is going to run. Almost immediately, the same voice responded with equal intensity, let it run, brother, let it run. Well, the pastor's really flying high about now. And so he began to wave his arms and he shouted, brothers and sisters, I believe this church is going to fly. The person in the back stood to attention began waving arms and shouted, let it fly, brother, let it fly. The young pastor leaned out across the pulpit, lowered his voice and said, brothers and sisters, it's going to take work to make this church fly. The person in the back sat down, folded arms and mumbled, let it crawl, brother. Let it crawl. Cute little story but probably more truth there than what some of us would like to admit. Some of us want to crawl and some want to walk, some want to run, some even want to fly. Just let somebody else do the work. I love you. Am I smiling? Can you see my teeth? I'm here to tell you today, I am not going to do all the work. We are a team. And I count it a joy to be part of the team with you, and I am looking forward in the future of our teamwork even being greatly enhanced than it has before. I want to share with you today what I call an inspired formula for effective evangelism. It's inspired not because I'm sharing it, but it's inspired because it comes from God's Word. And because of our time factor, I'm only going to share two ingredients of this formula with you. I love to cook. My mother, there were five of us boys, and my mother started teaching me how to cook when I was just a young fellow. She would pull a chair or stool up to the stove or counter and, and show me how to put various things together. And one of the things she impressed on my mind and in my heart was, Danny, if you want something to turn out right, you've got to put the right ingredients in. Yesterday, I did a post on Facebook that I was preparing my world-famous rice crispy patties and gravy for Fellowship Lunch today. And my mother, bless her heart, came on a few minutes later and in response said, Yeah, and I taught him everything he knows. (laughs) Well, I hope you try those patties today. Now, just get one, okay? You might not like it, so don't get more. And so there'll be enough for everybody to spread around. So I'm going to share with you two ingredients of this inspired formula for effective evangelism. Number one, if we are going to be an effective evangelistic people and church, we must take time to assemble together. Look at Acts chapter 1. The A part of verse number 4. And being assembled together with them. Now that infers Jesus assembling with the disciples, the disciples assembling with Jesus, the disciples assembling with one another. It was very interesting for me to discover a number of years ago when I was doing an exegetical treatise on this verse. That that phrase assembled together literally means to salt S-A-L-T, to salt with. And I started thinking about several statements Jesus made concerning salt in the context of soul-winning, witnessing, evangelism. And I want to share two of those passages with you. First, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, that first presentation we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 13. From the gracious lips of our Savior, we're here talking to those disciples then and and we disciples today, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now, the question we need to ask is this, what's the context of this verse? I was taught in that Pentecostal Bible college and seminary that I attended that any text taken out of context is a pretext. So we need to look at every text in its context. So what's the context of Matthew 5.13? Look at verse number 14. You are the light of the world. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said to yourself, self I am the light of this world. Can you imagine what kind of church we would have and what kind of community, what kind of nation, what kind of world we would have if we all would see ourselves as God sees our potential? So Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what's the context of verse number 13, Matthew 5? The context is soul winning. The context is witnessing. The context is evangelism. Go to Mark chapter 9 and verse fifty. Again, Jesus is talking to that generation, and and the Holy Spirit is saying to ours, salt is good. But if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and underscore this next phrase, have peace one with another. Now hold on to that, because that deals with a second ingredient we're going to look at in just a few minutes. Now from these two passages, Matthew and Mark, I want to share with you several valuable lessons about salt in the context of assembling together if we're going to be an effective evangelistic people. Number one, Jesus said salt is good. Now we know that salt has a lot of good uses, don't we? I like a little salt on some of my food. Some of you cannot eat salt. Some of you have to use salt substitute. Some of you can't even use that. I like salt so much that I even put it on my watermelon and my cantaloupe and my oranges and my apple. (laughs) I mean, I just take Jesus at his word salt is good for me in moderation. Salt has a lot of good qualities. In some parts of the world, people use salt to melt ice. Salt also has a preserving quality. Have you ever heard of some of the old timers talking about salting down the game of the kill? Now, when did they do that? It was before the days of refrigeration, so they salted it down so as to delay spoilage and avoid spoilage. Now, listen to me very carefully. So it is with assembling together. One of the fastest ways to become spoiled in our relationship with Heavenly Father and in our relationship with one another is just start playing hooky from church if we are physically able to be at church. Now, there are legitimate reasons why we cannot assemble together. But my brothers and sisters, if we do not have a legitimate reason and we stay away one time without a legitimate reason, it's easy to stay away a second time and a third time and a pattern is developed. And we will begin to spoil in the nostrils of Heavenly Father and in our relationships with one another. Second lesson, Jesus said nothing will take the place of salt when it loses its saltness. In fact, he asked this question, wherewith will you season it? And so it is with our assembling together. Listen to me carefully. There is nothing, there is nothing There is nothing that will take the place of going to church if we are physically able except going to church. Fellowship lunches are wonderful. Gospel singings are exhilarating. Social events are uplifting, but my brothers and sisters, if we are physically able to assemble together, we must do so because nothing will take its place, not even staying home and watching 3ABN and Hope Channel on television. Now, I am a 3ABN man, and I praise God for our media outlets, don't you? Praise God for 3ABN. Praise God for the Hope Channel. I am a 3ABN man. I started broadcasting and and presenting sermons and presentations on 3ABN back in the late 80s, and there were only a handful of men in the entire denomination who had ever been on television. I've done 75 to 100 programs on 3ABN. I am a 3ABN man. But if I made the statement I just made and Danny Shelton was sitting in this congregation, he would be one of the first ones to say amen and hallelujah. Nothing will take the place of going to church except going to church. Thirdly, Jesus said that the church collective is only as salty as we are as individuals. In fact, he said, have salt in yourselves. You see, every church member has a role to play. And when one member of the church family begins to malfunction in regard to church attendance, it affects the entire church body. Where I'm from in Georgia, we have a saying that goes like this. The chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Let me give you a hypothetical. She would not dare do this, but let me use Sister Linda as an illustration. Let's say that Sister Linda is is scheduled to play the organ for Sabbath, and on Friday night she begins thinking, Well, you know, no one has told me lately they appreciate my playing, and so I'm just going to stay home tomorrow, and I'm going to play here at the house for me and the Lord. And she makes no provision for anyone to be on the musical instruments. And we show up looking forward to a nice, rousing song service, and there's no one to play. Well, who's going to suffer? Well, she's going to suffer. But doesn't the entire body suffer? My brothers and sisters, church attendance is important. I will... And I've had some conference presidents who've gotten really mad and angry with me because I will not conduct an evangelistic meeting in a local church unless I know that the church is going to support it not only with their prayers and finances, but also with their bodily presence. Are you listening to me? I will not conduct... An evangelistic series here at University Parkway Seventy Adventist Christian Church until I see your name on the dotted line that you will attend. Not being critical and not being negative, but let me just remind us of how most of our evangelistic meetings go. We start on Friday night because we know we're going to get a good crowd on Friday night. I mean, our church family can't go anywhere else. They can't go to Pizza Hut. Okay, sundown's already taken place. So Friday night opens and we have a good crowd. The home folk are there and we have some of these visitors. On the way home, some of the home folk begin to think, well, you know, I've heard that before. And so the second night, some of them decide to stay home. These visitors come back and they see these empty seats and they begin wondering, I wonder where some of the people were that were here last night. On the way home, some more of the good church folk begin thinking, well, you know… I've heard these messages so many times, I probably could give them myself. And the next night, more of them stay home. Visitors show up. They see these empty pews and chairs. And they say to themselves, well, maybe this is not as special as it was advertised to be. And our attendance starts going south. Amen or ouch? Ouch. If we are going to be an effective evangelistic people and church, we must assemble together. Question Am I still smiling? How can we expect people to come to the church that we claim to be ours if we are not willing to be there ourselves? (laughs) I am so thrilled with our Wednesday evening prayer We had almost 40 people here Wednesday night. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger and better and more sweeter. Assembling together is important. And my Bible says the closer we draw to the coming of Jesus, the more we should be assembling together as we see that day approaching. Second ingredient. If we are going to be an effective evangelistic church, not only must we assemble, but there must be unity. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, talks about the disciples being in one accord. Now listen to me carefully. Assembling with Jesus and one another will promote unity. And there will never, there will never, there will never be effective evangelism until we come together in unity. The next time you read the opening chapters of the book of Acts, I want you to pay particular attention to their attitude and their, the dramatic contrast in their spiritual relationship with one another as compared to just a few days before. Let me give you one illustration. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and verse number 24. And I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that it pained Dr. Luke to write these words. And there was also a what? What? A strife among them. Now, who's the them? The disciples. And as if someone is about to ask, well, Dr. Luke, why was there a strife among the disciples? He pinned with great remorse, and there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now, do you know the context and the setting of this verse? If you will read the preceding verses in this chapter, you will discover they have just been introduced to communion. They have just observed foot-washing. And coming out of these holy ordinances of foot-washing and communion, there was strife among the disciples as to which of them should be the greatest. Next week, we will be observing here at University Parkway Seventy Adventist Christian Church the ordinances of foot washing and communion. And I am believing and accepting by faith That as Exodus made from these ordinances, there will not be any strife among the brothers and sisters of Jesus and the brothers and sisters of one another. It would do us well, as members of the family of God, to read often John chapter 17... Now, because of the time factor, we don't have an opportunity to look at the many principles here. But I want to begin reading in John 17 and verse 20. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to face death. He's going into the tomb. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend back to the Father. And in preparation, he is spending time in prayer. Begin reading with me John 17, verse 20. Father, neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples there, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, yea, even Danny Gerard. And you can put your name there. Jesus was praying for them, and Jesus was praying for you, and Jesus was praying for me. And as if they are we were about to ask, well, Jesus, why are you praying for us? Look at verse number 21. That they, who may be one? One more time, who may be one? One more time, who may be one? All. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. And again, as if someone is about to ask, well, Jesus, why is this unity, why is this oneness so important? Listen to what Jesus responds. Father, I'm praying that they might be one so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. My brothers and sisters, do we understand in our minds and hearts that the world is never going to believe that God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, into the world as long as they see us in a strifeful, ununited condition? Now before I read the next verse, I need to ask a question. Why has God given you and why has God given me his glory? Why? Has God given us his glory so that we can protrude our lapels like little banny roosters and march around the barnyard? Has God given us his glory so that we can brag and boast about who we are? Is that why God's given us his glory? Look at it. Verse number 22. Father, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. <laughs> Why did Jesus give them the glory, and why has Jesus given us the glory? Look at it. That they may be one, even as we are one. Now, let me ask you a question. If we are not one, what is that a strong indication of? That's right. We do not have the glory of God. Now, that's not Pastor Dan talking, so don't get upset with me. If you're going to get upset with anyone, get upset with Pastor Jesus. And I don't think you want to go there, do you? Jesus said he's given us his glory that we might be one. Then verse 23, Father, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and that the world may not only know that you have sent me, but also that the world may know that you have loved them as thou hast loved me. So my brothers and sisters, why is unity in the church so expedient, so that the world might know and understand that God so loved the world? That he sent his only begotten son. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. How is the world going to believe a testimony about a loving heavenly father if those of us who claim to be children of this loving heavenly father are not able to settle family disputes And we're always hanging our dirty laundry out on the clotheslines of the community so that the entire world can see it. The world is never going to believe that God loves the world until the world sees you and me operating in love. Several years ago, I I went to a whole revival meeting and when I, I was staying with the pastor and his family, and when I arrived, he came out and we started unloading my things to take inside, and he looked at me and he said, Dan, I hate to tell you this, but this church is divided. And I smiled as I have a tendency to do, and I said, that's all right, that's what revival is all about. And he said, no, Dan, you don't understand. He said, this church is so divided, we cannot even have potlucks anymore. Now, whenever anybody tells me that a Seventh-day Adventist Christian church cannot have potlucks, I get a little concerned. And so he asked, would you like to know why we cannot have potlucks anymore and, and there's such a division in this church? And I opened my mouth to say, no, I really don't need to hear it. But before I could get it out, he told me anyway. He said, this church is divided over Eggs. And I looked at him, and I asked, what did you say? He said, you heard me right. He said, this church is divided over eggs. I said, let me understand. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you standing there telling me that a little bitty oval egg has caused such division in this church that you cannot even have fellowship lunches, potlucks anymore? He said, that's right. He said, we have some good saints that think it's all right to eat eggs. We have other good saints, dear saints, that believe it is a cardinal sin to eat eggs. And so perchance someone will bring a casserole or another dish to potluck, fellowship lunch with eggs in it. We just decided not to have potlucks anymore. I hit my knees and I started praying. At that time, my revivals were going from... Sabbath morning to the following Saturday evening. We had 10 sessions at that time. We had an old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival in that Day Adventist Christian Church. On a Thursday evening, one of the dear saints stood up after I finished my presentation, and she said, Pastor, I've got a suggestion. He looked at me, and I looked at him, and I nodded. She said, Pastor, I suggest we have a potluck this Sabbath. And a lot of people said, amen. Well, Sabbath, after we had the worship service, we went downstairs to the fellowship hall. And being the guest, first fellowship lunch i had, had in a long time, I was at the head of the table. And I looked down that long row of tables past the salads, past the entrees, past the desserts, past the drinks, and what did my eyes behold? Not one, not two, but three platters of deviled eggs. And everybody's looking at me. So I picked up my plate and fork, and I walked past the salads. I walked past the entrees. I walked past the desserts. I walked past the drinks. I got an egg from this platter, An egg from the second platter, an egg from the third platter. I looked up, and without any prompting, they said in chorus as one body, one of my favorite words. Hallelujah! (laughs) My brothers and sisters, it's time we get over some stuff. Now, listen to me carefully. If God tells you not to eat an egg, don't you dare eat an egg. Okay? But you have no right to condemn someone who may not be in that position yet. Okay? If you eat eggs, you have no right to condemn someone who does not eat eggs. I mean, the devil is just laughing at some of the things that we have allowed to divide us. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. Brother Wilford, you come up here, please. I don't think this would embarrass him. I don't think anything would embarrass this man. I love him. Oh, I, he is a dear brother in the Lord. My little granny used to teach us songs when I was a little boy growing up. Again, we didn't practice this. He didn't know we were going to do it. But the song went like this. If we all will pull together, together together. If we all will pull together, how happy we'll be. For your church is my church and our church is God's church. If we all will pull together, how happy we'll be. He did good, didn't he? Now, if I, yeah, that's all right. We're not going to put him on any television program or anything like that, but (laughs) we do have it on YouTube. It's going to be, and I'm going to send out a notice later when it's up, so (laughs) if I talk with Brother Whiff long enough, I will probably discover that there's some things we don't agree on, okay? But just because we disagree, that does not mean we have to be disagreeable. Are you listening to me? We can disagree without being disagreeable. Thank you, my brother. If we are going to be an effective evangelistic people, we must become united at the foot of the cross. Now, the unity I'm talking to you concerning will not only affect your relationship with one another as parishioner, it will also affect your relationship with me as your pastor. Do you understand in your mind and in your heart that you are going to be a determining factor in how successful I am as your pastor? Do you understand that? You are going to be a determining factor. Now, I hope I never tell you anything I can't back up with God's word. So having made that statement, go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm closing with this. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and God's Spirit is saying to the church at University Parkway these very same words. Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for who? For all saints. And it's almost as if, as I read verse number 19, that Paul is pleading. He's begging. Listen to him. And please remember to pray for me. And as if someone is about to ask, well, Paul, why do we need to pray for you? Pastor Paul, why? You had an anointed encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You are the appointed disciple and apostle to the Gentiles. Why do we need to pray for you? Listen. Pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, verse 20, an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly As I ought to speak. My brothers and sisters, in case you do not realize it or you didn't catch it, the context of these verses is the whole armor of God. And a part of the whole armor of God is praying for Pastor Dan. (laughs) On Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Sabbath. I am pleading with you to pray for me. We need a club here at University Parkway Seventy Adventist Christian Church. Not a club to beat over the head of the pastor. But a club to support the pastor. I call it the Aaron and Her Club. Do you remember that story? Moses is on the hill. The children of God are down in the valley fighting the enemy. And as long as the arms of Pastor Moses were extended upward, the children of God won. But Pastor Moses became weary. His hands fell to the side and the enemy started winning. He lifted his hands again and, and God's people started winning and he became weary. His hands fell to the side and again the enemy started winning. Aaron looked over at her. Her looked over at Aaron. One got on one side and one got on the other. And they lifted the hands of Pastor Moses until the victory complete was won. Are you willing to be a part of that united team and club with me? I believe you are. When I know people are praying for me, it's like saying, sick them to a flea on a fat hound dog. I mean, I can preach. Several years ago, I went to a Revival meeting, and toward the middle of the week, the first elder came to me, and he said, Pastor Dan, could we talk to you tomorrow night? I said, Sure. We set the time in the place and I walked into the room and there were all of the elders. It was a good-sized church sitting in a semicircle. But there was no pastor. And so I asked the first elder, where is the pastor? And he said, well, he's not invited to this meeting. And I knew I had stepped into it. Sure enough, I had. I sat on the chair, in the chair. When I was seated, the first elder began to proceed to tell me how bad the pastor was. He tore him down one side. When it was finished with that side, he started tearing down the other side. The conference always reaches into the bottom of the barrel, pulls up the dregs to sin to us. I mean, it was awful, some of the things that he was saying. When he finished... The next elder picked it up, continued, and it went right around that semicircle. And I'm praying, Father God, you've got to help me. Please help me. Give me wisdom to know how to deal with this. And so when the last elder finished, I started laughing. And uh, one of the elders said, Pastor Dan, why are you laughing? He said, what we have shared with you is serious. And when he said that, I really cracked up. When I gained my composure, I looked every one of those elders right in the eye, went around that semicircle, and I said, brethren, don't you understand how special this church must be? And one of the elders said, Pastor Dan, I've understood everything you've said so far this week, but you're going to have to make yourself plain, and I did. I said, brethren, don't you understand how special this church must be? And another elder said, Pastor Dan, we don't know what you're talking about. I said, just this, of all the churches in this conference, God has chosen this one church to send all these bad pastors to. Of all the churches in this conference, God has chosen you to send the bottom of the dregs to so you can love them, so you can nurture them, So he can train them and send them from this place as a dynamo in the hands of God's sweet Holy Spirit. Brethren, don't you understand how special this church must be? I had prayer and walked out of the room. There was a two-hour time difference between there and where we were living in North Carolina. Late one night, my telephone rang and the voice on the other end was that of the first elder. And I could tell he was happy. He said, Pastor Dan, I know it's late where you are, but I just wanted to call and let you know our pastor is getting better and better and better. My brothers and sisters, it is time we come together, assemble together and become united because Jesus is coming. And we want as a church to have many to present on that day as an appreciation for our privilege to be an evangelistic people. Father God, I pray to you in the name of the greatest evangelist of all, your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. And Father, I am praying that you will awaken in each of our minds, in each of our hearts, the simple message that I've shared. Father, I am asking that you will revive us in the areas of these two ingredients so that when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory and we land on the other side, we can hear you say, well done my good and faithful servant and so father we are making a fresh dedication as individuals and as a church collective to be the evangelistic tool for the cause of heaven this prayer we pray and praises for victories we give again in the name of Jesus the greatest evangelist of all And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.